0: Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. In the winter of 1902, an Alabama woman named Mary Anderson visited New York City for the first time. She was taking it all in. It was overwhelming to her. She was appalled by how the weather slowed down the streets. The streetcars, however, snow and sleet just came flying into the front of that streetcar, obscured the trolley's two-paneled windshields, forcing drivers to open both panes and see between them. And so she had this idea. This idea came into her mind, and she sketched it out. And it changed everything. Things tend to get complicated during this time of year. More things to do than you have time for. Yeah, life is always busy, but it just seems like right now, it's one of the busiest times. And so the other day, to get ahead of the game, I went out and I I did my first Christmas shopping. I bought my first gift. It was for me. (laughs) I I decided I I needed uh, to replenish my my stock of men's fragrance, and so I have a certain fragrance that I use. And I I went to Macy's, and, and they had this deal going on, and so I bought it. And then... After I, I got it home, I thought, you know, I already I have an extra bottle. I might have two extra bottles. I don't really need this for myself. I'm just caught up in the, in the season. So I thought, I'll just take it back. I'll just take it and just get it back to the store. So, so yesterday, I run out to Macy's and, and I return it. And while I'm at the men's fragrance counter, one of those women came by. You know those women? They're always, like, trying to spray you with a new fragrance. I hate that. They're spraying you, and they're giving you things that smell, and then you don't know what to, to do with it. You kind of try to ditch it somewhere. Uh, so th- she comes by, and she's waving this thing in her face, this piece of paper. And, and, and I said, just to be cordial, I said, are you, are you kind of warm in the store? And she says, no, it's a new fragrance. And then she put it right on my nose and wiped it down my face on my mouth, and then she grabbed onto me. She starts to slide down my body, and, and she said, do you like it? I said, no, but now we have to get married. <laughs> it was a little too close. I was glad that nobody was there with like an Instagram or, or something like that. Pastor goes bonkers in Macy's to start the Christmas shopping season. You know, And you know that it's getting sort of crazy when it even takes over things like Peanuts, take a look at this. Even peanuts become more complicated at this time of the year. Planters salted caramel peanuts, planters smoked peanuts, planters cocoa peanuts, and the almonds joined in. The raspberry, the raspberry rich in oxidant, vitamin E almonds, the coffee almonds, caramel macchiato almonds. Who needs the stress? Who needs the anxiety? Of, you just want to get peanuts in a jar. It used to just be simple. You are living at a velocity you know deep down is unsustainable, says Bill Hybels in his book Simplify. Your life is off course, too crammed with busyness, too out of focus. You keep waiting for things to get better, but they never do. Your life won't simplify itself. You must act Isn't it time? It's rigorous work. This process is not for the faint of heart. It requires two words that are used here. It requires courage and grit. And we don't usually think of that when we think of simplifying our lives. Courage? What's that all about? Grit? That that gut level, I'm going to really make this happen? Is that what it takes? Hybels writes, simplified living is about more than doing less. We think it's about doing less. It's about more than doing less. It's about being who God called us to be with a wholehearted, single-minded focus. And that's what I wanna talk to you about today. There was a man 2,000 years ago who lived with a wholehearted, single-minded focus, a man who wanted to be everything that God wanted him to be. And he had a little bit of trouble with this in the beginning A little bit of a problem with with denying Jesus Christ right about the time of the the crucifixion. But then he stepped into the, the role of leadership. He stepped into telling people the story about God coming into the world, dying for our sins, rising from the dead, proving God's love and grace, proving that we have eternal life. And he just rocked his world as a matter of fact Jesus gave him that name rock you are rock and upon this rock the rock of the confession of you are the Christ the son of the living god that rock on that rock on this rock i'm going to build my church so peter wrote some letters to the early church and the one that we're going to look at today is first peter he wrote it from rome about the middle of the first century, about 64 A.D. It was written to early believers, people like you and me, to encourage them to bear undue suffering and persecution. Peter probably spent the last 10 years of his life in Rome, and the persecution he refers to is most likely under the reign of Nero. Nero was born in 37 A.D. and took the throne at age 17, are you kidding me? You know Who in their right mind would put a 17-year-old on the throne? Now, my apologies to all 17-year-olds. I was 17 once, too. It's hard to imagine. But that's exactly why I don't need to be on the throne anywhere. I don't need to be in charge of anything when I'm, when I'm 17. You're not ready to make those decisions, decisions that span an empire, decisions upon which people's lives rise and, and fall. 17 years old, and he's the Roman emperor. He supported the arts and athletics, but he had an angry edge to his leadership. And if you got in his way, you pretty much signed your death warrant. That's exactly what happened to his mother and his first wife. They got in the way, and he did a man. Blaming the great fire of Rome on Christians, he initiated persecution and torture of Christians around 64 A.D., right at the time of this letter. He took his own life at age 31 when he found out that the Senate had condemned him to death by beating, ending a tumultuous reign of 14 years. Peter had a front row seat to all this drama. Peter was there. He saw it all going down. And so that's why from his heart, from the heart of one who walked side by side with Christ, who listened to his words up close and personal all the time, he wrote this letter to the early church, to the early Christians, to encourage them. Keep on doing the things that are right to do. Listen to his heart. 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And there's a principle there. It's a principle of God's timing is always right, but God's timing is not always our timing. Sometimes things are happening in our lives or we're surrounded by circumstances and we want a a way out now. We want an escape. And, And God says, it's not the time yet. You have to wait for my time. And you have to Be humble in that waiting. It's a great lesson when we learn humility from waiting. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, in his time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That word cast is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here in 1 Peter. It's used in Luke when they talked about casting their cloaks upon the back of the donkey that jesus was riding into jerusalem on that fateful palm sunday they were casting their cloaks on the back of that pack animal they were making a place for god to be seated and this word again is used here throw all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you god cares for you so much he has a mighty hand things are going to happen in his time and your job is to throw everything on him, which presupposes that there's anxiety, which presupposes that there are struggles, which presupposes that there are heartaches, which pre- presupposes that there are times when we go down, maybe sometimes we go down hard. And he says, remember, God has a mighty hand. God's timing is going to be right. And your job is just to throw everything up to him, to keep casting it Toward him, he cares for you. He loves you more than you know. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's an intimidator. He's a liar. He just wants to to scare people. He wants to create fear and great anxiety in people. When I was in Israel, I went to Yad Vashem. The Holocaust Museum there. Very expansive museum. And the story overwhelmed me. The story made me so sad. And then I went into the the children's memorial. 1.5 million children lost their lives in the Holocaust. And each of their names is read over and over again. As you walk through, you hear all the names of these children so that they will never be forgotten. See, the, the devil roars Prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, someone who wants to destroy, someone who wants to lie, someone who wants to hurt, someone who wants to deface the very image of God. And that's what happened with Hitler. Hitler lost his his mind on this stuff. And then he convinced other people to go with him in this horrible, horrible political machine that, that he created out of his diabolical imagination. Diabolical. The devil looks for someone to devour. And when that happens, if he is able to intimidate someone, everybody gets hurt at the end of that day. But Peter says this, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He's saying, you resist those intimidations, you resist those, those lies, you resist destruction by standing firm in this faith, the faith of God's faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, the faith in God's love. As I mentioned earlier, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So earnestly seek him and earnestly seek him, and he will seek you out to bring reward into your life. This dynamic relationship that we have with God through Christ is real and tangible, and it works. It works every moment of every day. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And what he's he's alluding to here is this idea of we're all in the same family. We're all part of a community. Our strength is found in the community our strength is found the more we see ourselves as together in one family there's great power in that with with the effort that we've we've been able to exert as a family we've given water to people in togo west africa with the with the faith that we've had we have a church in islamabad pakistan just down the road from where they got bin laden just down the road in islamabad pakistan there's a group of men and women who already met this morning, and they sang, and they had scripture teaching, and they met together because we stand with them arm in arm. We are Spring Branch Islamabad, Pakistan, with them. Because of your love and your grace, children are being fed. Because of your love, your love and grace, Thanksgiving baskets are being given away. It's all because of the strength that comes when we all understand that we're in this together. And that's what Peter's reminding us of. We're all in this together. And we're strong when we're together because of God's strength at work through all of us. We are his church. And then he, he gets to this verse. It's really one of the most amazing verses in the New Testament. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself himself restore you and make you strong as firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. But let's go back to that verse 10. And when I looked at it in the original language, in the language that Peter wrote it in 2,000 years ago, four words jumped out. After you have suffered a little while, himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Those words just just pop off the page. That, That verse 10 is one of the most amazing verses that you can carry with you that you can learn because it tells you exactly what God is doing in you. It tells you exactly what God is always about in you and through you. This is his work in you. So let me look at these four words with you this morning. The first word is restore. And it's original language at that time. It meant to knit together, to unite completely and so you take all these, these pieces of your life. Sometimes you think you're, you're, you're a puzzle, and, and you got this piece of your life. And how does it fit with that piece of your life? Or you're, sort of, you're feeling sort of fractional. You know, you have a part of your life is over here, and a part of your life is over there. You can't find the common denominator. and You don't know which way it's going. Everything is swirling around. And what this says is what God is doing in you is he's knitting you together so that you are completely united as a whole person. He wants to take the broken pieces and heal them. He wants to take the confused pieces and bring peace. His work is always to bring you together, to make you whole. The next word, to confirm. Very interesting word. It's original intent. It meant to be mentally settled, to be heading in the right direction. God wants you to be set in your mind about what you should do with your life, set in your mind about where you should go in your life, what your life is is to be all about for his purposes. Because if you get that down, you're always going to be going to the right place for the right reasons in his timing. You'll have some wobbly times. Everybody has some wobbly times. But you will know and be at peace that this is your calling. This is who God has made you. This is what he made you for. This is your direction, your unique direction in life. You are in alignment with his purposes. You know, when I think about that, I, I just, I can't help but think about being about 25 years old and just asking God, what did he want me to do? And he settled it in my mind. I am calling you to be in ministry. He didn't give me all the answers, but he settled the direction. I am calling you to be in ministry and then you just go and and then each each season unfolds in the way that god plans for it to unfold he restores you knits you together he confirms you he gives you the right direction and your mind is at peace going in the right direction for his purposes he strengthens you this is the only word used in this way in the entire new testament it's just a, a one-time use of this word, strengthen. And what does it mean in the original language? To strengthen. It's one of these very complicated Greek things. It just means to infuse you with a power, which is amazing because it's not a power that comes from inside of you. We often think, you know, I have to power up, or I need more power, or I have to drink power aid, or I have to, to figure out a way to, to get something more out of my life, and God says, no, what I'm doing in you is I provide the strength. I provide the power. Your job is to keep focused on me. Your job is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your life. That's where real strength is. So if you're at a point where you feel weak, you're at a point where you feel like you just don't have the power, you say, I need to look somewhere else besides myself for that And when you look across the the stories of the Bible, you see power coming when God infuses somebody with power. And when you see somebody getting weak, it's because they tried to do things on their own strength. And then finally, the word establish is used. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. To lay the foundation it meant. To render firm and unwavering. God gives us this great foundation For us to build a life on. A foundation of faithfulness. A foundation of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. He says, this is what you're going to build on. You really can't build on anything else. Anything else that you build on, you're just taking a risk that ultimately it's going to collapse or fall down under its own weight. I will establish you. Here's your foundation. Jesus Christ and is calling on your life. I will strengthen you. I will give you the power to live your life with integrity, to confirm you, to be mentally at peace and going in the right direction, to restore you, to knit together all the puzzle pieces and the broken parts. This is what God is doing in you. And God wants you to be able to say someday in your life, looking at those words, restore, confirm, strengthen, establish, been there, done that. And people who are wise are able to say this after a decade of faithfulness, or two decades of faithfulness, or 40 years of faithfulness. I've seen him restore me. I've seen him confirm me. I've seen him strengthen me. There were times when I was so weak, but the power came. I've seen him give me a foundation and a hope for the future. Been there, done that. He wants you to experience this. This is his deepest desire for you this is when he talked to people he wanted this so much for their lives whether it was talking to the woman at the well whether it was talking to mary and martha whether it was talking to peter he was restoring he was confirming he was strengthening he was establishing this is what god is doing in you that's why the psalmist wrote as i read earlier you have searched me lord And you know me. So it's an inner work. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know the physicality of my life. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You know the internal mental capacities of my life. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue... You, Lord, know it completely. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Imagine God's hand being upon you right now. And when the psalmist had that thought, he said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. It boggles my mind, God, that you would put your hand on my life, on me, on my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. It's a challenge to God. Test me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, which means there are anxious thoughts. There are anxieties and fears. See if there's any offensive way in me. Is there anything that's keeping me from all of the work that you want to do in me and lead me in the way everlasting, which simply means lead me in your way. And so the persecution that, that Peter was writing about to the early church was, was very political. It was very powerfully driven by this, this maniacal Nero. But what about the, the persecutions in our day? The persecution in our day usually comes from our fears, from our anxieties, from the things that, that intimidate us or the things that we allow intimidate us anxiety is a manifestation of our of our fears and peter is saying to throw all that on god throw it all on him because he loves us so what's your anxiety today what happened this week that knocked you back a couple steps or what is on the horizon and you go, I'm kind of worried about that when I look at that. Or what don't you know about the future? And you go, that really scares me that I don't know that about the future. In chapter 6, from Anxious to Peaceful, Hybels puts it this way. Fear is the fundamental barrier to peace. And it's a deal breaker when it comes to leading a simplified life. Fear is debilitating. No matter how much we've simplified our calendars, Relationships, finances, and the like. When fear strikes, the whole deal blows up. No matter how good we look on the outside, we will crumble if fear has seeped beneath beneath the veneer of our lives. He talks about two different kinds of fear, big categories. The first big category is constructive fear. Now constructive fear is the good kind of fear. It informs you of physical dangers of realities where you don't need to go there. You don't need to be a part of that. That's a constructive fear. That's a good fear to have. It also motivates you to do your best because you're afraid of giving God a mediocre life. You're afraid of giving God an experience of just sitting and listening and never really getting out and doing something, never risking something for his kingdom. I was at the Judeo-Christian Outreach Center yesterday I hadn't been there for a while, and I was very, very impressed because they've kind of retooled the whole thing. They've reorganized it. They've re-strategized it. It's a much sleeker, lean machine. It's helping people faster. It's got a whole variety of ways to help people and evaluate them as they are helping them. It's really being well-led and well-delivered. But every time I'm there, I always remember why This organization exists, the Judeo-Christian Outreach Center. And it exists very simply because one day a man was sitting in church in a pew. He was a pipe fitter. He worked in the shipyard. Probably didn't have a tie on. Was probably wearing some boat shoes without socks because that's all I ever saw him wear. Beat up boat shoes, no socks, no tie. He was sitting there in church. And that Sunday the pastor talked about how You've got to do something for the one who did everything for you. you. Your life has to do something for the kingdom of God. And it finally dawned on him that just sitting there every Sunday and listening wasn't enough, that God was, was asking him to do something. And he thought, what can I do? I'm a pipe fitter. I work in a, in a shipyard. I'm, a, I'm just a blue-collar guy. I get up and I go to work early every day and I work hard and I come home. And God said, you know what you can do. And he thought, I can feed people. There must be hungry people. There must be homeless people. I've seen homeless people. Maybe what I could do is I could feed them. And so he starts just feeding a few homeless people down at the ocean front. His name is Dick Powell. He starts feeding a few hungry people coming off the street to have a hot meal. And then he invites some other people to share in that. Some other churches get involved in that. Pretty soon that goes from one meal a week and a couple churches doing that to it's a meal every night. And there are dozens and dozens of churches and organizations and synagogues and civic groups that are, that are doing this. And when you look at it, it was his, his constructive fear. How can I someday stand in front of God himself and say, well, I, I sat there, I went to church and I sat there, but then I never really engaged. And, and out of that fear developed something that today is helping hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. There's even uh, a house that they have now for veterans that are homeless and they need to, to get their lives back on track. It's incredible what they're doing. Constructive fear motivates you to do your best. But then there's destructive fear. Destructive fear, Heibel says, nips away at our emotional well-being, cluttering and complicating our lives by erecting false barriers in our work, our relationships, and even our recreational pursuits. It mutes our joy and robs us of satisfaction. It causes us to anticipate the future with dread rather than exhilaration. Paul wrote to Timothy about this. 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Paul's saying, look, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to just hold back. You can risk it all. You can step up. You can change the world. You can do something because you have power, you have love, and you have self-discipline. And God is doing things in you. He's restoring you. He's establishing you. He's knitting all the pieces together together. And he's making you the person who looks a lot like Jesus Christ. Bible says you have to conquer your fear. And you have to expose fear's lies. You have to face fear head on. And you have to speak words of truth. And as you do those things, you, you understand fear's origin. You expose fear's lies. You face fear head on. You speak words of truth. You start to change. You're not intimidated by circumstances. You don't let lies challenge you. Your life is a light in the world. In the middle of, of swirling things, you have your feet planted firmly on something that's bigger than who you are. And that's what Peter learned over the years of his life. At At the year 64, it's like 35 years since maybe he first met Jesus Christ, 30-some years. So he has all that time to, to learn and ponder and grow and teach. And he says, look, God is doing something in you that's powerful. God is doing something in you that is incredible. So allow him to restore you. Allow him to Confirm you. Get settled in your mind and go in the right direction. Allow his power to be at work in you and through you. Allow his foundation to be your foundation. In the winter of 1902, an Alabama woman named Mary Anderson visited New York City for the first time. It was overwhelming to her, the big city. But she was appalled by how the weather slowed down the streetcars, snow and sleet, Obscured the trolley's two-paneled windshields, forcing drivers to open both panels to see, to see through them, but then the, the snow and the sleet are just coming right in at them. And so Anderson watched that. Mary watched that. She came up with an idea, and she sketched it out on a pad. A squeegee wiper on the outside of the windshield connected to a lever on the inside. It was a, a rudimentary windshield wiper that she sketched out. And it changed everything because now people could see where they were going one early windshield wiper advertisement explained it this way a clear sight ahead prevents accidents and undimmed vision makes it easier to drive where do you don't, where do you not have clear sight right now because of anxiety or fear where is your vision dimmed today because of something that happened last week or last month or last year or five years ago or 20 years ago, and, and your vision is cloudy. You are anxious. You are afraid. God says, let me speak into your life. Let me tell you what it's really all about. I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna knit all the broken pieces together, the diverse elements of your life are going to come together and you're going to be who I made you to be. Let me confirm you. I'm going to give you a peace of mind. I'm going to set you in a direction and that's what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Let me strengthen you. When you are weak, you are strong because of what I am doing in your life. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to render you firm and unwavering because you're building your life on a foundation that that was given to you before the beginning of time. On Jesus Christ, your life is built. No one can ever take that away from you. Simplified living, it's not for the faint of heart. It requires courage. It requires grit. Simplified living is about more than doing less. As a matter of fact, that's not it at all. It's about being who God called us to be with a whole heart. Hearted, single-minded focus. That's what Peter learned. That's what Peter taught. That's what Peter lived. That's what he asks us to live today. You want a simplified life? That's how you get there. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to to ponder things that are that are bigger than who we are. Truth. That you have given your servant, Peter, to give to us, spanning a time frame of 2,000 years, yet it is so fresh and vital to what we need today. Father, take whatever is our anxiety today and allow us to cast it upon you. Father, take whatever we are worried about today, whatever we are fearful about right now, and let us imagine it Let us imagine us handing it to you, throwing it into your arms. Oh, Heavenly Father, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us so that someday in the future we can say, been there, done that. In Jesus' name.